So for tonight's session, the, the overarching theme is, is hearing God's voice in your daily life. And of course, it's a very broad theme, and there's lots of different ways to talk about that. But um, I invited my good friend Michael, because I am really impressed, not only with the way that he's heard the Holy Spirit in his life, but with the way that he's taught his congregation um, to hear the Holy Spirit in their everyday lives and the direction that's taken um, the church. And so with uh, Michael Ginger is here. He's the pastor at... Center. I don't actually have like a bio for you. Like you're a pastor. You're a surfer. You are a pastor. Married to a physical therapist. Occupational, occupational therapist. Um, all around great guy. So Michael, if you will come out and so the microphone to Zoom is here, and then this is recording. Perfect. So just tell me when you want your video. Yeah, we'll do that in just a second. That's great. Well, hey everybody. Thanks for uh, being here this evening. It's great to be with y'all. I'm Michael Ginger, like Meredith said. And hey, folks online, it's good to see y'all. So um, I love that we can have everybody together. So like Meredith said, I am uh, Michael. I'm the pastor of Central United Methodist Church in Galveston, Texas. Um, Central, I don't know how to describe Central. Um, Central's kind of the Wild West of churches, if you will. Um, it might be a little bit different than your experience here at Westminster. So uh, Central was started in 1885 by 13 kids and three adults in the front yard of Miss Eliza Perkins' house off of Avenue I and 39th Street. And this little mission Sunday school grew, and before long they bought property off of Avenue O and a half and 33rd. If you know where the spot is, we're not too far from that restaurant, thank God. So um, this was a congregation that grew and grew, and by the mid-1940s, 1950s, they were thousand members that attended this place. It was sort of the who's who of everybody who's in Galveston. And then things began to change. The neighborhood started to shift a little bit. Hurricanes happened. People got old. It happens. And this once thriving church, when I was appointed there in 2014, was down to four people on Sunday mornings. Four people. And so I think they thought, because I was in seminary at the time, that this young kid can't possibly screw it up too bad if there's only four people, right? And if they grow by one, it's a 25% increase, which is fantastic. So we loved percentages in those early days. And so we sort of treated it like a hybrid church plant, revitalization. It always stayed central. Um, but we started to kind of ask who's not being met, whose church needs are not being met on the island, and how can we reach out to those folks? And so um, we actually shut the church down for about six months, stopped worshiping together, put up boards on the outside to make it look like it was abandoned, and a reputation in the neighborhood of being kind of this old, white, racist church, which plays really well in some parts of the South, but it wasn't what we were going for, and so um, shut it down and tried to open it up and welcome new folks that were there. And so for the last, starting year nine, um, it's become this wonderful mix of surfers and soccer moms. About 30% of my congregation is homeless. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. We have wonderful um, ministries to do that. Um, and so we're going to play a video here. I was trying to think of the best way to introduce Central because I think this is important for our conversation tonight. Um, we run a clinic, a healthcare clinic through UTMB on Thursdays where folks without insurance can come in and be treated by a doctor, nurse, dentist, physical therapy, occupational therapy, clinical lab science, social work. It's an amazing thing that's run um, out of our church. And so folks that didn't have access now have access. And I think this video, um, which was put together by GE Healthcare, they came and did a little documentary about what we were doing down there. And you guys are actually the first ones to get to see this. This hasn't been released yet, so congratulations. And um, it's a short little eight-minute video that I think will give you a sense of who our community is um, and why I'm so passionate about this idea of hearing God's voice. So thank you for watching that. Um, 
It's a little sense of kind of what my church is like. It's a little bit different maybe than Westminster, um, but a lot of same because it's people, right? And, and listening and discerning where God is moving. And so what I want to talk about tonight is a little bit of how we got here. This didn't happen overnight. This was a lot of intentional listening. And some of the scriptures that if you were to show up at Central, there's a good chance you'll hear me preach on one of these two texts because they're some of my favorite. And I think undergird all of what we're doing there, discerning where God is moving, often in unlikely places and then unlikely faces like some of those that you saw here. So um, at Central on Tuesdays and Thursdays and Sundays, we are the uh, largest provider of homeless services in Galveston County. Um, so this little church, again, that had once had four people in it, is now doing incredible work for the county. So we provide a hot meal for folks. We provide shower and laundry services. You've seen the clinic. Um, one of the neat things we have is a bicycle repair shop on campus. So folks can bring in their bicycles and get them worked on, a flat tire fix. Um, we have a guy named Ricky who, when he was three years old, had a fever that lasted for a couple weeks which resulted in some cognitive issues, and so he can't read or write, but Ricky can fix bikes like nobody's business, right? And so while I can't fix my way out of a brown paper bag, Ricky is in there helping folks, um, and it's been a meaningful thing for him. So bicycle repair shop, we have locker storage where people can keep things, clothes, and I think all that's wonderful. Um, thousands of people come through our building every year, um, but what makes I think our work significant is it's done with the value of mutuality. So everything we do um, is together. Instead of starting with what's wrong with you, we start with what's right with you and what gifts do you have and how can we leverage those gifts for the kingdom of God. So if you were to walk into our kitchen, which Meredith has been in many times, um, my dream is that when you walk in, you wouldn't be able to tell who's a UTMB student and who's somebody sleeping outside and who's a congregant that's helping. The same with the bike shop, the same with our Sunday morning service. It's all these people mixed together. And it is a mess, y'all. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, but kind of the undergirding and what we're talking about tonight, listening for God's voice, my congregation, I'm just so fortunate that they had ears to hear and moved like they, uh, I think God was calling us. So we're going to read from Genesis chapter 28 this evening. Um, if you have scripture, you can follow along. It'll also be on the screen here, maybe a little tiny. Um, yeah, but I'll read it so you can hear it. So this should be a familiar passage for many of you. This is Genesis 28, starting in verse 10. Let's see what it says this time. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. He reached a certain place. I want to come back to this idea of certain place in just a little bit. He reached a certain place and spent the night there. When the sun had set, he took one of the stones at that place and put it near his head. Then he lay down there. He dreamed and saw a raised staircase, its foundation on earth and its top touching the sky. And God's messengers were ascending and descending on it. Suddenly, the Lord was standing on it, saying, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will become like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west, east, north, and south. Every family of earth will be blessed because of you and your descendants. I'm with you now. I will protect you everywhere you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done everything that I have promised you. When Jacob woke from his sleep, he thought to himself, the Lord is definitely in this place, but I didn't know it. Now, I've had some odd dreams, okay? But this is like next, this is like when you have spicy chili too late at night, you know, and you have some weird dreams. So in Jacob's dream, God is like, I have some work for you to do. Jacob, I have a calling on your life. There are things for you to do. And Jacob wakes up from his pillow made of rocks and says, wow, God was surely in this place. I just wasn't aware of it. 
He wakes up to this God who's been present all along, doesn't he? His statement isn't, hey, God just showed up, right? His statement is, well, I woke up to this God who's been here the entire time. One of my favorite things that happens at Central is when we get to move folks into housing for the very first time. It's a huge celebration, and there is no better moment than watching someone get the keys to their new apartment after living on the streets for months or years or whatever it's been. And so last Christmas, we can go to the next slide, uh, my good friend Steve, who if you ever come to Central, you'll get to meet Steve. We got to move Steve into his apartment at Christmas time, and this is Steve decorating his Christmas tree. And, uh, you know, an apartment, it's just wood, and it's sheetrock, and it's carpet. That's all that an apartment is. And I started thinking about where Steve had been before this photo was taken. I started thinking about how he had been making it through such difficult circumstances. And then I started to think about the memories that would be made in this apartment, like the dinners that would be have around his kitchen table and the conversations and the late night movie parties and the restful nights after being out on concrete for so long. And I started having this odd bonding experience with this apartment that wasn't even mine, if you can relate to this right. Uh, there was this increasing awareness in this moment of just how wonderful this particular apartment was. And as we're unloading boxes, I'm just thanking God out loud for my uh, friend Steve and for his apartment. And I'm having this moment of awareness that God has been providing for my friend all along, even when it didn't look like anything was happening. And I'm sure the landlord in that moment was like, what the hell is this guy doing, right? But I'm having this bond. I love you, apartment, was what I kept saying out loud. And it became like this holy, sacred moment as we were moving Steve in. And it was like, God, you're, you're taking care of my friend. And like, you're taking care of me. And even something as basic as a one-bedroom efficiency apartment, like you've been taking care of us. You've been providing for us. Jacob says, I woke up and realized that God had been there the whole time. I just wasn't aware. I was asleep. And so Jacob wakes up from his sleep, but he really wakes up from his sleep, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And he becomes aware of this God who's been there the whole time. Sometimes I think we have this bad habit. I do this sometimes. I'll say, and then God showed up when I'm telling a story. Do any of you do this? Yeah, some of, I do it all the time. But what I'm realizing now, it's like, no, I, I think maybe I did for the first time. I showed up, right? And then all of a sudden, God came, is what I'll say in a sermon. No, I think all of a sudden, I became aware of a God who's been present the whole time. Jacob wakes up and says, I wasn't aware that this God was here. I was asleep. Let's look at another story. This is a theme, I think, that shows up in the Bible. This is a really familiar one from Exodus 3. There's this man named Moses. We've heard of Moses before, and <coughs> There's a level of frustration here in Exodus 3 that I think I can relate to. And so um, Moses, he ends up in this land called Midian, which is just like rocks and dirt and wilderness and bleh, right? Nothing there for miles and miles and miles. And then in Exodus 3, all of a sudden there's this bush that's on fire. Do you remember the story? Yeah. And so um, Moses goes over to it. And in verse 3, it says, Then Moses said to himself, Let me check out this amazing site and find out why the bush isn't burning up. When the Lord saw that he was coming to look, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, I'm here. And then the Lord said, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. Several thousand years later, there'd be this man named Stephen, and he's in the book of Acts, if maybe you remember this story. And he's talking about Moses, and he says that Moses fled from Egypt to Midian, and then the burning bush happened some 40 years later. 
is what Stephen tells us. So in the book of Acts, he says, Moses was in Midian for 40 years. He is a shepherd in this land for 40 years. And then one day God speaks to him and tells him to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. Now, if he's been there for 40 years, and this is just conjecture, this isn't in the scriptures, for how many years had he perhaps been walking by that bush? 40? Like 40 years you walked by? I mean, was God speaking to him the entire time? But he only heard it when he took enough time to stop and listen? Was the ground like all of a sudden holy in that moment? Or was the ground holy for 40 years and it took Moses that long to realize and figure out what was going on? Is the ground that you walk on only holy at certain moments? Or has God been present with you the whole time? And what happens is we begin to wake up to new depths and levels of understanding, to this holiness and sanctity that's been around the entire time. We were just asleep. And then we have a moment like this. And God's been here the whole time. I was just asleep. I didn't realize it. Moses, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. It's not as if God just shows up. It's us showing up and becoming aware of this God who's been here all along. And my congregation started to figure this out. We can go to the next slide. Um, uh, if you've ever wondered what a dryer full of poop looks like, there's a photo of it right there, okay? So, um, Mary, do you remember that class we took in seminary um, about how to clean out dryers? Yeah, yeah, so it's in the job description, other duties as a sign that pops up. So, I'm on a retreat, and um, my admin texts me, and she sends me this photo, and she says, uh, in case you were wondering, this is what a dryer full of poop looks like, to which I replied, I was not wondering that at all, actually. And so, you know, as we're doing laundry for folks, very often um, we end up with messiness and things happen. And so this individual put stuff in the dryer that was not supposed to be in the dryer. Uh, and it was this realization with the ministry that we do that, um, like the Instagram version that you see all the time, right, which is the filtered, beautiful, everyone's getting along and we're raising people out of poverty, more often looks like this than not. But my staff was able to see this as a holy and sacred moment, that God was working somehow in the midst of this to show up and do the work that it took. And Beth, my admin, had to clean up this dryer because I was away, showed up again and again and again. Um, we were having a, uh, a service one Sunday, and my ushers were counting the money in the offering basket. You guys pass baskets on Sundays? No? Oh, okay, used to. Remember, back in the pre-COVID. Um, <laughs> Peace before the, the old times, right? So um, uh, we pass baskets, and um, people always put weird things in the baskets at Central. So we've had gift cards with zero balance on them, you know, broken necklaces have been in there, just all kinds of strange things. Screws, rusty nails. Um, one time we were, uh, my ushers came afterwards, and they said, um, somebody put a 9mm bullet uh, in the offering basket. And so um, I was like, man, I didn't think my sermon was that bad <laughs> that Sunday, right? But then I had my Copernicus moment and realized, okay, Michael, the world doesn't revolve around you, right? So maybe this was a person who had intended that bullet for somebody else. 
And maybe as the basket was going around, they decided instead of putting this in someone else, I'm going to put it in the basket this morning. Or maybe um, the enemy wasn't somebody else. And maybe the enemy was themselves. And they were thinking about putting that bullet in themselves. And instead they put it in the offering basket. And I like to think that the bullet was the very first thing that went in the basket that morning. And so every person that was in the sanctuary had to hold that basket with the bullet in it, the weights of that emotional baggage that this person was carrying. Because that's what church is, I think, is we carry these things for each other and we support each other. And so these unlikely things, like a dryer full of nonsense and a nine millimeter bullet become these moments, these unexpected moments, where you get to see the divine, these burning bush sorts of moments. Uh, one of the most meaningful ones, we can go to the next slide, um, again, unexpected people. This was our Easter service of this year. It was wonderful. It's the biggest service we've had since COVID. It was, we'd pull up more chairs, standing room only. I'm in the middle of my sermon, lots of new faces on Easter, right? My friend Chris, who's pictured here, this is a zoom in of what's going on up here, walks in as I'm preaching. Um, Chris lives on the streets. He's probably got some sort of schizoaffective disorder. Um, and he comes walking, kind of sauntering in, but he looks a little different than he usually does. Looks kind of like a mixture of like Rambo, or he got beat up, or there's something going on with his face in this moment. And you can feel the tension and the anxiety in the sanctuary creeping up as people are like, who is this guy that's kind of walking in? And so my staff helps Chris find a seat. And then at my church, we don't have people for communion. We just ask for volunteers. And so we had volunteers come up to do communion. And of course, Chris volunteered to come do communion, right? And so Chris comes up and he is offering people grace, the body and blood of Jesus, with whatever is going on with his face in this moment. It's kind of scary looking. And so after the service, I went to go check on Chris and I said, hey, buddy, <laughs> um, how you doing? I said, I'm doing good. I said, let's talk about this. What's going on? Tell me about this. And he goes, well, you know what day it is, Michael? I said, yeah, it's Easter. And he said, yeah, almost offended that I didn't know what was going on. I said, okay, help me make the connections here. He said, Pastor Michael, it's Easter. I wanted to decorate myself like an Easter egg for my community. And so it became this beautiful moment of Chris offering himself, burning bush moment, unexpected places where people initially saw fear, anxiety, stranger, danger, right? It became this moment of gift and grace and opportunity for our folks. And so I wonder, you know, let's do a table discussion for a second with the people that are sitting around you. Have you ever had these burning bush experiences where you went and maybe walking past something for years, 40 years, and you're Midian, wherever that is, and then something popped up unexpectedly where you've met the divine presence? Um, take a moment, talk um, among your table. When have you had a burning bush experience, or have you? All right, friends, can we start to bring it back? Finish up story if you're... <laughs> Um, so I told you I want to go back to this idea of a certain place. If we can put up the next slide, go back to the scripture. Um, there's an idea sometimes with these burning bush stories that it has to be this over-the-top experience, right? It's got to be somebody with schizophrenia interrupting your church service, and then you have this moment, right? Or you have to be doing these crazy things. And I think this scripture pushes against this a little bit. So... Um, We'll get this up in just a second. But remember, in Genesis 28, it starts in verse 11 by saying, Jacob reached a certain place and spent the night there. A certain place. This is any old place. The Hebrew there literally means between nowhere and nowhere. Okay, this is where Jacob is. And he makes a rock pillow and lays down. And in this certain place, it's not a temple. It's not a tabernacle. It's not a Christian bookstore. Are we preaching yet? Okay, it's not, it's not a church-sponsored event. It's just some place. 
It's a bunch of rocks. It's wilderness, right? And he wakes up and he says, God has been here the whole time and I wasn't aware of it. It's just any old place. A certain cubicle, a certain hallway, a certain driveway, a certain street, a certain store, a certain checkout lane, a certain phone call, a certain email, a certain, I mean, it could be anywhere, right? The earth is God's and everything in it. One writer says, everywhere I go, God's there, I can't get away. That's my translation, at least, so... See, here's what happens, I think, sometimes, is we see um, social media or videos or whatever of people doing amazing things somewhere else. If only I could be a part of that church. If only I could be a part of that group. And we start to think, oh, I'm missing it. It's over there, right? It's in Galveston or it's in Dallas or whatever. It's easy. It's easy to believe that if you go somewhere else, then radical stuff will begin to happen. But I think the challenge of this is discover who we are right here right now. Do you know anybody who's like, oh, this town, this town is so lame, right? This town stinks. I'm moving to Dallas. Do you know anybody? Nobody says that actually because it's no. Dallas, but <laughs> in theory, right? Hypothetical. If somebody, you maybe know some people. And then they move to Dallas, right? And you see them again and you have a conversation with them and then they start to say, oh, Dallas, nothing's going on here, right? And you think to yourself, here's an observation. Lameness seems to follow you wherever you go, right? I mean, those of you who are in the recovery movement or know people who are in the recovery movement, there's this beautiful, beautiful phrase, wherever you go, there you are, right? There you are. If you're not experiencing, like if you're not learning how to be a loving, gracious, listening for God kind of person right here, right now, what's going to magically change when you go over there, right? Because wherever you go, there you are. So every day, ordinary places and people start to take on profound significance. If we can wake up to this God who's been with us the whole time, authentic spirituality. I think Jesus's whole mission when he came proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is near, right? It's not over there. It's not in Dallas. It's not in Galveston. It's here. It's near. Um, it's not with this group of people. It's not exclusively with that subculture. It's near. It's you and me and here right now speaking to us, convicting us. I think this is the call for us. So a couple of challenges. Meredith said that y'all were doing this um, last week. I think we heard some examples of ways that you lived into it, or maybe not so much, right, Mitch? So, um, but it's a beautiful story. We've got three of these, and I've got them on the screen. Um, so the first one is simply this. Like, what is your certain place? What's the ordinary, you know, maybe it's your place of work, maybe it's where you go to school, maybe it's at home or the grocery store or a club that you're in or a running group, um, that certain place. What would happen if you approached that certain place or that certain person with the expectation that God is already present there? How might that change your interaction or your openness to that place or that person. I mean, this profoundly affected my congregation. Instead of seeing Joe homeless as a very scary other, what if God is at work in this person? And what if we're missing out by not being a part of this person's life? Hmm, right? And then note maybe how that changes, how you interact with that space or that experience, especially if it's a difficult person, right? At Central, we call these folks EGRs, extra grace required. You know some of these people, right? Yeah, you live with some of these people. And so um, what if you were to approach those EGRs with the assumption that Jesus has, that Jacob has, that Moses has, that 
God is working somewhere here. What is there to learn and to be gained? So that's, that's one, that's a pretty easy one, I think. Approach with a different maybe mindset to where you're working. Here's another one that I think is good. This one's a little longer. Um, this is a Ignatian spiritual practice called examine. Um, it's spelled a little bit different, but it means the same thing. It's a self-awareness kind of way of praying that I think will feed nicely um, from what y'all were doing last week. And examine really is just becoming aware of ourself. Um, our day. It's a way of reviewing the events of the day. And so um, these steps, we might even try this together here in just a few minutes. But you begin with a, a pause and a slow, deep breath, right? Kind of center yourself in the moment, wherever you are. Typically, you do this at the end of your day. Um, and just become aware that you're in the presence of God. There's something about our breath, right, that makes us aware of the God who's with us, I think. And then as you're becoming centered in that presence, um, you just kind of review your day. What things happened today? Good, bad, indifferent? What sort of things surprised you that you weren't expecting from that day? And then thinking about those things, your interactions with people, your interactions with different places, the world around you, how have you been enriched because of these experiences? How are you challenged by some of these experiences you had? Did these experiences bring you closer to the people around you or did they drive you farther away? Did they bring you closer to God or did they drive you farther away? And then what might God be saying to you through these experiences? Ignatius, St. Ignatius was very big on our emotions as ways that God kind of talks to us. So what am I feeling? How is God interacting with me in this? And then you sort of end this prayer time looking with expectation towards tomorrow. This hope, this assurance that God is going to meet me again tomorrow. This God who's present everywhere has something new to invite me into. And so this might be a way, um, if you're having trouble in the moment, like me, my hindsight is 2020, right? But my foresight is I'm blind. And so um, to have a way to reflect on the day of, oh, this is where God was working. I was just sleeping and wasn't aware of it. And I think the more that we do this, the closer we get to being able to name it in the moment. So um, examine might be a practice. And you can Google um, this word examine, and there's lots of different formats of prayers that you might try this week. It's a great exercise to do before you go to bed. It's also something you do on your lunch break if you're at work. Easy, easy practice. So it's a little bit of a step up commitment. And then our third commitment um, would be to kind of what y'all were doing earlier, share a burning bush story with a friend, a family member. I think when we talk about these things, um, sparks, right? Burning bush kind of sparks begin to light up and you're able to have conversations with people about your own awareness, and they invite um, new awareness out of you as they ask questions and probe a little bit. So maybe talk to somebody where you encountered God during the day. It can be awkward to do sometimes. If you're like me, I live in a very kind of sterile, I grew up in a church that was like frozen chosen, you know, these people, right? Like very rigid kind of spirituality. And so this wasn't something we ever did. God was far away and distant. I'm talking about how God was interacting and where I was hearing God. Um, this is a really profound practice too. So um, so uh, just to kind of end our time, then we can open up for some questions because we still got some time. Um, Elizabeth Barrett Browning um, wrote a beautiful book. It's really a long poem called Aurora Lee, and she has this great four lines in one of the sections talking about burning bushes. And she says, Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush afire with God. But only he or she who sees takes off their sandals, their shoes. The rest sit round and pluck blackberries. If you're like me, I want to be the kind of person who becomes aware of the presence of God all around me, hearing that voice, moving as God calls, taking off my shoes, 
and then enjoying blackberries maybe another time, right? So, um, yeah, so um, what is this stirring up in you? Let's have some conversation, questions. Could be about listening for God's voice, could be about stuff that's happening at Central, could be stuff that's happening here at Westminster. What's going on inside of you? Yeah, please. Uh, how did you, uh, how did your congregation and you hear the voice of God that lead you in the direction that you eventually evolved into? Yeah, uh, it took time and it was very slow. So we didn't go from um, like no unsheltered persons to a thousand in a year like overnight, right? It started with Miss um, Edna, who was on our front steps whenever I got there who had a sign that had lots of expletives on it that she was holding, so she became part of our greeting team, right? The sign that she was holding in front of the church. Um, and so um, I, you know, my leadership, I've, I've um, worked with this population for the last uh, 15 years or so, so this was something that was near and dear to my heart. Um, and the congregation, as they fell in love with Edna, kind of realized, oh, there's more Ednas out here, and then this slowly built. So it's a very organic process that was a lot of questions, clarity around our vision and values, um, and then through dialogue with each other and lots of time in prayer, like y'all were doing, um, discerning sort of what next steps were. I guess my question is, did, you, did everybody hear the same call? Or, I mean, supernaturally, how did you guys arrive at this destination? Yeah, um, so my leadership team, absolutely, yes. Um, when you make a big move like this, you obviously are going to lose some folks that um, this isn't where they feel like um, they need to be attending worship anymore, and I think that's fine, right? Um, there's lots of great churches in Galveston, and so we help folks connect that way, but at least this core leadership team was all pretty synergistic, um, praying together and feeling like there was clarity and vision um, for where we were going with this. So, And it was messy along the way, so there'd always be like recalibration moments. Um, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? How are we measuring success in the midst of this? Um, yeah, and then just being attentive to, um, I, I don't know how to describe it, but just kind of the spirit and the spirit's leading, being open to that. So that's kind of a vague answer, but um, yeah. Yeah, crazy. How do you That's a great question. Yeah, I tried to convince my congregation that God was saying that I needed a Lamborghini, and I'm just kidding, I never did that stuff. Um, no, 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 I think it's a really good question, and I think that's why we do this in, yeah, exactly right. My homeless people aren't buying my Lamborghini, so um, I don't know why. Um, no, uh, I think this is why we do this in community, Grace, too, so like, um, I, uh, the, a lot of the Protestant movement has been really good about you need to be in your Bibles, reading your Bibles. That's a really good thing. But we need to also do that in community because when you read scripture by yourself, you can come up with some crazy ideas about things, right? So we check this with each other. Are you hearing the same thing that I'm hearing? Trust that God has called this group of people together to discern this thing together. So that's really important too. Um, you were asking, how do we know if it's not what we want, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. So I've never had an audible like voice, right? I've never. We talk about the voice of God a lot. I think that's something that Meredith. I don't know if you've ever experienced that or not, but yeah, I've never heard um, that. But you get these kind of intuitions and feelings sometimes um, that are always checked against, like I said, other people. Checked against the scriptures, right? Is this in line with who God is and who God said God is? Our community. Um, 
we went through a visioning exercise that kind of looked at what are the strengths and passions of the congregation? Um, what are the big needs in our community? Um, and who has God brought here? And so it seemed to be those three intersections, right? The people that we had, the things that got them excited, and the great need within our community. Where those Venn diagrams kind of hit, that's where we tried to land. And so um, there's too many needs in Galveston. You can't do everything all at once. But this was one that made up a bulk of our congregation and folks. And we said, hey, we can double down on this. So, And then a lot of trial and error and listening. Um, we like the bike shop wasn't something I ever would have thought of myself that came from community meetings with our folks where we said what do you I, I've never been homeless so like what what do we need and so from that community they were able to say hey uh, our bikes keep breaking we can't get to work we can't get to this could we do something about this so all that kind of discernment stuff working together yeah you said 30 percent of your congregation is homeless uh-huh so what about the other 70 percent what is it not homeless people. Um, I'm just kidding with you. Are they giving into the community? Yeah. Are they active within the church and the programs that you have put into play? Yes. Yeah, so it's a whole mix of, um, probably a lot like Westminster, just a mix of people. So we've got um, a lot of young folks. We've got college kids from A&M Galveston and from UTMB. Um, we've got a lot of longtime Galvestonians that have been there, new transplants, weekenders that have a you know vacation home, and so this is sort of their church when they're down there. Um, just kind of a mix of normal church kind of folks. So um, a lot of people that have been really hurt by the church that are kind of stepping back in for the first time. So we see a lot of people that they're either on their way out, and it's kind of their last stop, or um, they've been out for a long time, and this is them kind of dipping their toe back into um, faith. Because I think, at least with my generation, um, there's a lot of skepticism around institutions, and we hear a lot of talking and not a lot of doing. And so um, a lot of the folks that show up see the work that we're doing in the community, and that's kind of their first entry point into, we'll sort out the Jesus God stuff later, right? But I'm interested in this. And then God is a way of sort of working um, that way. So it's kind of a mix of people. But yeah, they're involved in the, um, again, that value of mutuality means everybody's doing everything together, cooking together, cleaning together, doing service, Bible study together. It's all kind of a wonderful mix. Yeah. Does that kind of get at your question? Yeah. Great. Well, you started with four. Mm-hmm. So then it continued to, to build. How did you, or your team, everybody working with everybody growing in the same direction and what about fear of the unknown what about the people who were I'm I I'm afraid of a homeless person I'm afraid of somebody that is ill how, how did you overcome or that your team overcome those obstacles and get everybody growing in the same direction yeah, they're, and they're still very present. So what we realized, because we're Methodists, we love to eat, right? This is like in the Book of Discipline, I think. We have to eat together. And so um, we thought a meal could be a really safe place for folks to begin to get to know each other. Sort of like we were doing tonight. I mean, I came in not knowing anybody, and Michael and the crew here were so gracious, and I got to know a little bit about you guys and vice versa over delicious food tonight. And so we thought, well, that works with us. It works with other people, too. So on, it started with Sundays before service. We would do a meal called piecemeal, kind of a play on words. Instead of P-I-E, it's P-E-A, piecemeal. And um, we'd have little conversation cards. Um, we might have ripped this off of Gastro Church a little bit, but uh, 
on the table, and so folks would come get a meal, housed and unhoused alike, before service, and just start having conversations with each other, realizing that we're not so different. One of my favorite stories is there was a couple that moved to Galveston and started attending our church, and they're from Highland Park in Dallas, which is one of the wealthiest neighborhoods, right, in the state of Texas, probably the United States. Um, so when they showed up at Central, I was like, you guys are in the wrong place, I think, right? This isn't your... But they loved it, and they loved the energy that was there um, and, and had some great questions and thoughts. So one night they were walking through the park that was by their house, which is where a lot of our unsheltered people hang out. And so Barry was making notes of all the people, and surely they were up to nefarious activities, right? And so he was going to call the police department when he got home. And as he's leaving the park, he hears a, hey, Barry... And it's Lucius, one of our unsheltered guys, sitting at a picnic table who remembered Barry from Sunday morning because they'd shaken hands and invited him to come sit at the picnic table with them. And Barry sat there with his wife, Christine, for two hours talking with Lucius and went home and didn't call the police that night. And so it's these kind of transformative close-up. Brene Brown says people are hard to hate up close. And I think that's true with this population too. So as we can move in instead of moving out, um, hearts soften. And it doesn't work for everybody. You know, there's some folks that have had traumatic experiences, or, um, but for 99% of people, like they've made the adjustment to figure it out. We had this Sunday um, a, a new guy named John Paul who came and he um, was sitting in the back and was not in the same reality that we are in. And so while I'm preaching, um, decides he wants to walk up and talk to me during my sermon. So he kind of moseys down. Um, introduces himself to me in the middle of my sermon, and I say, hi, John Paul and Michael. And my staff just really gently got up and kind of corralled John Paul and, and took him to the back. And everybody was just like, this is just a normal Sunday at Central. So, um, And then John Paul was in the back, listened to the sermon. I found out later he wanted to come up and tell me that I talk too long and I talk too fast. That's what he wanted to say. So <laughs> welcome to Central. But... Um, but then when communion, we do communion every week at Central, because I think, you know, if the sermon sucks, at least we're getting communion, right? So uh, John Paul saw communion happening, and there was something within him that that registered for reality. And so we started inching towards the door, and one of my staff members said, do you want to go receive communion, John Paul? And he said, yes. And so they walked with him. It's this beautiful model of accompaniment, walked him down the aisle. He received communion, made the sign of the cross, so clearly it's some sort of religious background. It's just a beautiful moment, Right. But again, this other that we want to keep at a distance sometimes when we move in. I mean, I don't know John Paul's story, but I know in that moment he was uh, a beggar in need of bread, which is what we all are, right? So receiving grace just like the rest of us. Yeah, so um, there, there is, and for some folks, they've chosen to leave, and um, we have other folks that support and just say, uh, this isn't for me, and I think all of that's okay. And it always comes with, like, we will never have a thriving children's ministry um, because whenever you have this population, right, um, I mean, yeah, one of our greeters has like multiple teardrop tattoos on his face kind of thing, and it's kind of a scary dude. He's the one that'll show you back to the nursery on Sundays. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Um, but the people that get scared miss the story. So Mike, who's, y'all, I could talk forever about this stuff. Mike, um, who's one of our greeters, um, did some time in prison for stuff, and um, he remembers his first night in prison. He's really emotional because he had never been locked up before and this had a long sentence ahead of him. And so he's kind of in tears in his prison cell. And all of a sudden his cell lights up white. It's like his burning bush moment. The whole prison cell, white, white, white. And there's this like angelic figure that shows up in his prison cell. This is how he tells it. He says, here's this voice. Um, Mike, I have not forgotten you or forsaken you is what he hears. But when he tells the story, 
it wasn't an angel like hovering above the ground. It wasn't an angel sitting on this great throne. The angel was sitting on his prison toilet while he was saying all this stuff. So it's this very funny image, right? This angel sitting on JC on the WC, I think, or something. So, um, but it was this beautiful reminder of this God who shows up in the messy, dirty places like prison cells and on toilets. And um, I think that's what Central's reminding me. And and what these scriptures remind me is it's often the uh, overlooked and underserved sort of places that God seems to show up over and over and over again. And so I feel bad for the folks that don't get to hear Mike's story, you know, and don't get to interact with the person that he is now coming out of that. I think they're missing something with that. So, um, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a great place. It really, if y'all are ever in Galveston, please come visit. So, any other questions, comments, concerns? Yeah, that. Michael. Your, your ministry is amazing. Uh, really amazing. Can you reflect to us maybe how the homeless people that show up there, when they realize that they have sanctuary, yeah. what does that do for you? Where do you, where do you, how do you interact with that? I love that you use that word, yeah, because that's really what we're trying to reclaim. I mean, we use that word sanctuary all the time, right? But for how many people is that not a safe place? And so we're really trying to make this, so if you walk in my sanctuary, it's a mix of our sanctuary, it's not mine, um, pews, couches, Lazy boy recliners, like it's just this hodgepodge of seating because we recognize like we need to be a hospitable kind of place. And I had friends that had stopped going to church. Um, they didn't want anything to do with church. But I, we found ourselves like late nights sitting on the couch in my living room having these deep conversations about spirituality. So why can't we recreate that in our church, right? And so it, again, it doesn't work for everybody, but for us it's sort of worked to make that space safe. So when folks experience that, there's a lady named Gail who calls Central her home away from homelessness, right? Oh, I mean, it's such a good line. We want to tagline that. So, um, but it's, it's a place where people can come and be reminded that they're human. And this works on both sides of that demographic divide. So it's people who don't have um, that can come and receive and be reminded that they're loved, they belong. But it's also people that have too much that need to come back and give a little bit away and be reminded of their humanity and what wealth can do to us sometimes, right? I mean, the parable of the rich man and the Lazarus, if you remember that story, we often think the story there is about, oh, if the rich man had only helped out Lazarus, he wouldn't be under the table with the dogs licking his sores. But at the end of the story, we find out that really the rich man needed Lazarus, didn't he? The way that story kind of twists. We need each other. Mother Teresa says you can sum up all the world's problems, um, you can solve them all, with the simple idea that we've forgotten that we belong to each other, right? So remembering kinship, belonging. So it's an emotional thing, um, but it's these sorts of practices, this examine practice, I think it's the only reason that we're able to sustain this kind of work because you're dealing with people that are facing uh, insurmountable addiction, prison sentences, all kinds of abuse and trauma, and then we have to close at some point. So, you know, whenever our hours are up, you have to turn all these people back out to the streets. Um, and that's heartbreaking every single time. And so being reminded of God's presence, searching for that hope of what God is going to be speaking to us the next day, sort of that sustaining peace. Really exciting thing, we just bought a dorm from UTMB because um, they're getting rid of all that stuff. And so we're turning that into transitional housing for people that will be opened at the end of the year, which will be we won't have to turn quite as many people away, which is really exciting. So does that kind of get at what you're thinking, Michael? Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, it's really, really wonderful. So, yeah, and I think this listening for God's voice can help us overcome some of those fears and those anxieties. Um, 
And the scriptures are really clear over and over again that God is somehow, especially with the poor, right? God seems to show up. Um, there's some theologians that say that God is a preferential option for the poor. And so if you're like me, I want to be where God is, right? I want to be where God is, which means I have to show up in these kind of dirty, messy, poop-filled, drier kinds of spaces, right? Um, yeah. Thanks. Thanks.